I wanted to invite you to remain seated for our scripture reading because it's a little bit longer and I, I want you to pay attention to the reading, not be standing there thinking, I wish I could sit down. So go ahead, take out one of the Red Pew Bibles from in front of you and turn in there to page 884. Page 884. Starting today and for con continuing for the next few weeks, we'll be reading through the Acts of the Apostles. And so our first reading from that comes from the first chapter. In the first book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus did and taught from the beginning until the day when he was taken up to heaven after giving instruction through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. After his suffering, he presented himself alive to them by many convincing proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. While staying with them, he ordered them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait there for the promise of the Father. This, he said, is what you have heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So, when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, is this the time when you will restore the kingdom to Israel? He replied, It is not for you to know the times or periods that the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. When he had said this, as they were watching, he was lifted up, and the cloud took him out of their sight. While he was going, and they were gazing up toward heaven, suddenly two men in white robes stood by them. They said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand, stand looking up toward heaven? This Jesus who has been taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath, Sabbath day's journey away. When they had entered the city, they went to the room upstairs where they were staying. Peter and John and James and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James son of Alphaeus, and Simon the Zealot, and Judith, Judas the son of James. All these were constantly devoting themselves to prayer, together with certain women, including Mary, the mother of Jesus, as well as his brothers. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God and thanks be to you. Turn to your neighbor, reach to your neighbor and pat them on the back or uh, reach forward or back and pat your neighbor on the back. Say, well done, thanks for coming to worship today. <laughs> you made it, you made it through, the, through the wonderful snow. Beloved people of God, grace to you and peace from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. This morning we're kicking off a new sermon series, Sent. Sent. And in many ways, this is the sequel to the Gospel of the Nobodies. If you were here for Lent, you know that during Lent for a Gospel of the Nobodies series, we were following Jesus through the Gospel of the Gospel of Luke, right? Wow. 
Short attention span, huh? We're following Jesus through the Gospel of Luke, and this is the sequel to the Gospel of Nobodies. Maybe you noticed uh, how the book of Acts begins. In the first book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus did and taught from the beginning. Remember, the Bible is not really a book, but it's a library. It's a collection of books. And one of those books is the Gospel of Luke, and another of those books is the Acts of the Apostles. And so here, Luke is writing and is saying, you know, in the first book, Theophilus, I told all about Jesus and what he was doing up to his suffering and his crucifixion and how after his suffering, he presented himself alive. That is, after his resurrection, he wasn't raised and then just instantly disappeared. But for 40 days, he, he appeared among them and he was speaking to them about the kingdom of God and then our, our lesson concludes with after his ascension, how they return to Jerusalem and they go back to the city. And then Luke tells us who the, the names of some of the nobodies and how all of them were constantly devoting themselves to prayer together with certain women. Usually the men just get named, but certain women, including who? Mary. And there's lots of Marys in the New Testament. So this Mary in particular Mary, the mother of Jesus. So Luke wants to begin the gospel telling about Mary, Jesus' mother, and now as he begins the Acts of the Apostles, Mary is there as well. There's a ton of stuff that we could explore in these first verses of the book of Acts, but I want to focus on the centerpiece. So when they had come together, they asked Jesus, Lord, is this the time when you will restore the kingdom to Israel? Now remember, these are the people that have been following Jesus and learning from him for the past few years, and they've been on this incredible journey with Jesus through all of his teaching and going to Jerusalem, being crucified, and then being raised. And they're like, now is it time? They remind me of uh, kids who are on a journey. I don't know if it happens these days as much, but when I was a kid traveling, we always had that question that we wanted to ask. Are we there yet? That's the way the disciples are. Are we there yet? Are we there yet? We've been on a lo this long, long journey. Aren't we there yet? Is it time? Or what we may be asking today. I took that this morning before the first worship service, and it looks different already now, doesn't it? What do we expect what do we expect, huh? As I was reading this passage and reflecting on it, I always am re reading scripture and thinking about contemporary conversation and contemporary issues. And I had this thought that came to me about a way to understand the disciples' question in more contemporary terms. And I apologize if some of you might be troubled by this because it's a little bit on the edge. But I was thinking that I wonder, as they were saying, is now the time when you will restore the kingdom to Israel? I wonder if they made some baseball caps to go along with their wishes. Lord, is now the time when you'll make Israel great again? As I was thinking about that, I was just on this little rabbit hole chase yesterday, and so I googled, make Israel great again, hats, and somebody actually had made these up. <laughs> I'm not the only one. The disciples thinking, 
Lord, is it time? Are you going to make Israel great again? Back to the good old days with King David and King Solomon when everything was great. Are you going to take us back to then? But what has Jesus been focusing on? Making Israel great again? No, Jesus' focus has not been on the kingdom of Israel, but he's been teaching about the kingdom of the kingdom of God. The disciples' focus is on their narrow little, what is Jesus going to do for me and our little group? But Jesus has always focused on bigger. How does that passage go? For God so loved the world. Yeah. Jesus is continually helping people to think about the kingdom of God, not merely the kingdom of Israel. Maybe you remember that parable that Jesus told when he was asked about who are we supposed to love? And he tells this parable about these people who are on, this guy who's on a journey, gets beat up and he gets left half dead. And some of the leading people from Israel come by and they pass by. And who ends up being the hero of the story? The Samaritan, one who is not even part of the kingdom of Israel. So they're asking, Lord, is this the time when you restore the kingdom of Israel? of Israel, to Israel, and Jesus turns the conversation. And he says, it's not for you to be concerned about the time. The time is what the Father has set by his own authority. Don't worry about the timing. And then he says, in fact, don't even worry about restoring the kingdom to Israel, but instead you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you'll be my witnesses. And this is what I want to explore with you because this is the foundation for this whole book of Acts and for this series, Sent. It's about how the Holy Spirit comes to Jesus' followers and how they're sent out to be witnesses. You will receive power. When the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses. These words were originally addressed to the early disciples. And yet, these words are also addressed to us. And so we will be translating some of how these ancient words speak to us now. First, I want to just focus on each of these three little pieces here. You will receive power. That word that gets translated power is the root for our word dynamite. Dynamite, dynamite, that explosive reality. There are times when the Spirit comes, to our, comes into our lives and it is like that. It rattles things, it shakes things, it blows things up. Power, that's not of our own accord. And it's power from the Holy Spirit. As Luke tells the story of Jesus, he begins telling about the Spirit at work in Mary's life. And then the Spirit descending upon Jesus in his baptism. And he's going to tell in the second chapter of Acts about the Holy Spirit not descending in the form of a dove like at Jesus' baptism, but the Spirit coming to the people like tongues of fire and giving them the power to communicate, to tell the story of what God's up to in all different languages to all different people. The Spirit comes and you shall be witnesses. When you think of a witness, I invite you to think about a witness in a, in a court situation, in a legal situation. 
Because I think when people hear witness in a religious context, they usually think about somebody who's going to the door and knocking on somebody's door to tell them what they need to believe and what they need to think. That's what we usually think of. There's an old story about Flip Wilson who thought maybe he would like to become a Jehovah's bystander. He liked what they wanted to, well, he liked what they believed, but he didn't want to be involved. I don't know, some old story like that. Yeah, you're yawning at me, Nathan, I'm sorry. When you think of witness in a courtroom setting, they don't go and knock on doors and, and start spouting off to people. But a witness in a courtroom setting responds to questions based on what they've seen and what they've experienced. And I think that can reshape the way that we think about how Jesus calls us to be witnesses. Because to be a witness in that sense means, first of all, you listen to the questions that people have. Listen to what people are wondering about or struggling with around you. And then to respond to those questions based on what you've seen and experienced. So maybe you bump into somebody who's dealing with, uh, with the death of a loved one and they're wondering, you know, where is God in the midst of my heartache as I'm grieving the death of a loved one? Well, as you hear that question, which may be even an unspoken question, you may be able to speak to them based on your own experience. You may be able to speak to them and say, you know, I'm, I'm so sorry for your loss. And I know it can be so hard, so hard to have your wife die. And yet, when I've experienced the death of my loved ones, one of the things that gives me hope is, is Easter. And knowing that, that Jesus knows what it's like to experience death, and yet death is not the end. And so, because of Easter, we can look forward to that heavenly future and maybe that can give you peace even in the midst of your heartache. You see, it's not about necessarily going on, knocking on somebody's door and telling them what they ought to believe, but instead to be paying attention to people's questions and their struggles and then to, to be able to speak based on what you've experienced, what you know, to give them hope and to share the good news with them. Jesus says, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Sometimes when we read the Bible, and especially it talks about places, we don't, know, we don't know where the places are, and they just kind of don't make sense to us or what the significance is. So I thought a little map may help us out here. So the Jerusalem, that is the center of the Jewish faith. Jesus was crucified right outside of Jerusalem, and the disciples are hanging out in Jerusalem and he tells them to wait and stay there in Jerusalem until the Holy Spirit comes to them. But then he says, you're going to be witnesses in Jerusalem, right where you are. And in Judea, that's the, the area around Jerusalem, the red circle there on the map. That's the countryside where, where Jesus did a lot of his ministry. And then he says to Samaria, and Samaria is represented on, the, on that map by the, by, the, by the blue circle there. As I was reading uh, and studying this passage, one of, the, one of the scholars I was reading, N.T. Wright, writing about Samaria, he says that Judea, he describes as the surrounding countryside, then Samaria, and he says, the hated semi-foreigners living right next door. 
you're going to go to the hated semi-foreigners living right next door. Hmm. And then to the ends of the earth. And the map spreads out there in that green circle that's kind of hard to see or oval. That shows what were the ends of the earth in their way of thinking. All the way up to Rome. That's as far as they thought of as the ends of the earth from into Turkey and to North Africa and to all the way to Rome. That's what was represented by where they were going to go. So how does this translate to us here in northeastern South Dakota and in Aberdeen? When I moved to Aberdeen, I asked people, how do you pronounce it? Do you pronounce it Aberdeen or Aberdeen or how do you pronounce it? Aberdeen? Aberdeen? Today, I think you pronounce it Aberdeen. So, if we shall be witnesses on your home turf, how might God be filling you with the Holy Spirit so that you can hear people's questions right on your home turf and be able to share the good news and the promises of God right on your home turf? How about the countryside that you're familiar with? How might God be empowering you to do that? How about Samaria? What is Samaria for us? North Dakota? What about that semi-foreign and maybe that's semi-foreign in terms of communicating with your grandkids. Maybe it's semi-foreign in terms of religious upbringing. Maybe it's semi-foreign culturally or linguistically or ethnically. And how about the ends of the earth? What is it that's way out of your box? Maybe you have a box that you're really comfortable in and you've got it decorated just the way you want it. <laughs> and the Spirit calls you to step out of your box to share the good news there as well. Beloved people of God, you may wonder, you may wonder if the Spirit is active in your life. But much like I look out the window and I see the snow blowing I look at you here, and I see you here as evidence that the Holy Spirit is active in your life. Luther teaches how the Holy Spirit calls, gathers us, and the Spirit has gathered you here today, but not merely for the sake of you being gathered, because the Holy Spirit is also a scattering power, and so the Holy Spirit will scatter you out and send you out send you out so that you can make a difference in this world and know that you don't go alone, but you go filled with the Holy Spirit with every breath you take so that you can take this good news, the good news of Easter, out into this world so in need. Won't you pray with me? God, as we gather, we give you thanks. We give you thanks that we're never alone that that promise of the Spirit comes to us even now. And we give you thanks that not only did, do you give us that promised Spirit, but you also send us out with a purpose. 
so that we can share your love, your grace, your care with others. And so give us good courage to do that, trusting in your promises as we go out to share your good news. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.